0: I'm Matt Bush with BPR News. I'm speaking with Joel Burgess of the Asheville Citizen Times. Joel, thank you for coming in. Happy to be here. So you looked at the occurrence of resisting arrest charges filed by Asheville police officers and broke it down by race. And you looked over the last five years, correct? That's right. Um, First, tell us, what were the basic findings?
1: Well, I'll I'll tell you uh, folks that want to really dig into some of the details, they should uh, sort through some of this. We, We laid it out in um, a, a series of stories that we published um, just this week. And again, our website is Citizentimes.com. And what we did was we started with a public records request with the Asheville Police Department and asked for the last five years of any arrest that involved the charge of resisting an officer. It's also known as uh, resist, delay, obstruct, sometimes simply RDO. You'll hear Uh, please talk about it in that way. Um, We had to sort through the data. But um, we and and, and at this point, I'm actually going to pause and say, I'm the one here talking. But there there are a couple people behind this uh, story, too, that should be recognized. We have a a data analyst, Michael McGlone, who did um, real yeoman's work in some of the sorting and also uh, my my longtime editor, Brian Ponder, who was a tremendous driving force behind this story. And and I'm I'm not sure it would have been published without him. But what we found were there were, in sorting all this data, we found that there were over 24,000 arrests uh, in uh, these five years, uh, the last five years, and that uh, more than 1,800 of them uh, involved a charge of resisting an officer. So that's about 7%. And we looked at that, and then we were able to sort it by race, and we found that uh, 35% of the people in these arrests, again, charged with this crime of RDO resisting an officer, were black. And the reason it jumped out at us is the population of Asheville is 12% black. So again, though, uh, it's probably not a surprise to anybody that there's a disparity in terms of race when, when it comes to charging people with crime. So we looked at that too, and and of all arrests, Again, there were there were more than twenty four thousand. Twenty eight percent uh, were of African Americans. So there is a disparity there. Again, a twelve percent black population, but the RDO. I'll say this again: the the people charged with resisting thirty five percent of them were black. So this really stood out. It was a it was a large disparity. So we dug into that, and uh, one little subgroup uh, we found that was also important were people uh, who were charged with nothing but. Uh, resisting officer. There's no other charge involved. It was a standalone RDO. There were 166 of those. Small group, but a strange uh, subset. And even uh, a prominent local police advocate said that that's that's a red flag if you see somebody charged just with that.
0: Talk a bit about this charge specifically. Uh, What is it? What are the penalties that come with it? And what does an officer need to What needs to happen for an officer, I guess, to charge somebody with this? And your article went into this very well, got some very good examples. Obviously, the Johnny Rush incident is an example that really stick out with people's uh, minds. That was one that's so well known. But you've talked to other people, far lesser known cases where they were charged with this. So, again, just talk about what the charge is and what needs to happen for a police officer to uh charge someone with it and what are the penalties that come with it
1: Sure so this this is a class 2 misdemeanor which puts it right in the middle of of misdemeanors which are a lesser crime than a felony for example um so it has a maximum penalty of 60 days in jail and a $1000 fine and and when it comes to uh charging somebody with this um some some of it might sound sort of obvious if if, uh, if a officer is trying to arrest somebody and they they struggle tremendously there's some physical resistance there. They might get charged with that. But then there are other things that we, we might not think about. Run, running away from an officer can be seen as as resisting. So can um, apparently uh, giving an officer false information. Maybe you give him a wrong name or a wrong address uh, to the officer. Or um, sometimes even just in some cases, police have charged people we found because they declined to talk to them. In other words, it's subjective in a way it's subjective and broad and even uh, again some local police advocates said that that's it is and they argue that it, that it's a good thing because because it gives an officer a tool on the street to solve problems but civil rights advocates have said it's problematic for that very same reason because if an office it can be done unfairly and they they say certain civil rights advocates we've talked to say that these numbers indicate bias and so if you have uh, a person who's biased and and that person has uh, some power and, and a subjective charge to use, then this charge can be used in that way.
0: Yeah. To talk a little bit more about the use of the charge, one of the people you were talking to were some of the people with a local fraternal order of police lodge that are police advocates. And, and But also say this is a red flag if you see an officer who charges a lot of people with this. Mm-hmm. Um so, talk about the information, and talk about when they would see officers with a lot of these charges. This includes Chris Hickman, uh, the officer who was charged for the rush beating and was fired. Um, what that sort, of, what red flag that sent up to the, to, to police management?
1: Right. Um, I would say the the most um, interesting, striking example would have come from uh, actually the uh, Rondell Lance, who is with the. Um, uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, actually. And he's the local president of, of that group. And so Lance is a longtime APD officer, retired now, but he was the commander of their crisis negotiation group. And he said when they would interview officers to join that group, um, they would actually ask if that officer had charged a lot of, of resisting, of, of RDOs, because, uh, that, to him, was a sign that this person was not good at talking to people, that this person was not good at de-escalation. So there's, that, to me, was one of the most telling comments. You mentioned uh, Brandon Magaha with the Police Benevolent Association. He has more of a regional position with the Police Benevolent Association, but he's from here. He brought up uh, one example that, that we – well, he talked to us about one example. We found uh, – it was a young man uh, named Keith Ellis who, uh, at the time, uh, had a clean record – uh, it was the day after the 4th of July, and he was at Lee Walker Heights. There were fireworks being shot. Police were called. Uh, he decided to walk away. He said, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just didn't want to interact with the police. And he said police caught up to him, uh, grabbed his arm, said that they had been trying to talk with him and charged him with resisting. And it was that was the only charge that he was facing. That charge was, in fact, dismissed. And Magaha, again, the uh, staffer for the Police Benevolent Association, uh, reviewing those details said, well, as you've presented that to me, he probably shouldn't have been charged because he has the right to walk away unless he knows that he is the subject of an investigation. And unless police really have a a good reason to believe that he's been involved with with some crime and has has information. And you also brought up, uh, which is an important point was Johnny Rush, um, the the black pedestrian who was uh, beaten, shocked, Uh, and and choked by police officers in an encounter uh, back in uh, 2017 rush really was what kicked off this investigation for us you know after we we got a hold of that leaked uh, body cam tape of of officer christopher hickman and published it and wrote about it and it, it really sent a lot of shockwaves through through the city and city government we noticed the charges that that he had um that he had had that were brought against him by by Hickman, and one of them was resisting an officer and it was it's particularly ironic, considering you know what you saw in the in the encounter, which is him being held down and beaten and shocked, and all this, so we started thinking, you know how is this charge used and and that's really what uh led us to to look into all this data.
0: The charges in that case were dismissed. A lot of the other cases you show in your reporting also show that the charges were dismissed. Was this something you looked at, the prevalence of how or how often uh, these charges ended up being dismissed, meaning people had to go through the court cases? And you know, there's costs that come involved with that, not just to, you know, taxpayers to the county government, but also to the people who've been charged for something that they end up having the cases dropped, and they have to go to the courthouse to get that um, looked at. Was that something you guys looked at?
1: Yes. And um that's that's a very good question. Now, there, again, were uh, just a little over 1,800 arrests involving uh, resist delay obstruct in the past five years. <clears throat> the administrative office of the courts is the keeper of all this data and the way that they store it and the way in which the public act has access to it is very limited. Basically, I had to go and sit at a public terminal in the clerk of court's office and and tap away at a, at a very bad display screen to figure this out. so it was it was nearly impossible to look at every single of those one thousand eight hundred arrests, but we looked at that subgroup being again one hundred and sixty six people who were charged only with uh, resisting an officer and and for those people for which there are court records um, the the majority were were dismissed. Both black and white. And in fact, with black people it was more prevalent for it to be dismissed. And uh, Ian Mance, he is an attorney with a, a nonprofit out of Durham called the Southern Coalition for Social Justice said to him, that means that prosecutors don't think much. About this charge that they don't think much about the evidence that's and and, and uh, how it's presented to them. Uh, but Buncombe County District Attorney Todd Williams pushed back a little on that and said, I don't really think that's what this data tells you. He 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 pointed to the, the fact that both blacks and whites were dismissed at over 50 percent saying that, you know, this means that we're at least. Um, doing this uh, in a way that, that doesn't seem to have any kind of bias or or there isn't any effect uh, in terms of race but um, so yeah that's an important point is that the charges is, is dismissed and officers um, again these police advocates have responded to me by saying in some ways it doesn't bother them that much because they 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 think that this charge is okay it's used as a negotiation sometimes with uh, with district attorneys around the state is, is how they characterized it um, also, an important thing to note is just because the charge is dismissed doesn't mean that people don't carry, uh, some over from these types of arrests. Uh, in one case, uh, there was a guy, uh, named William Ray jr. And he said that because of a resist charge that he got, um, uh, and I, I think I should probably go into the, the quick history of it, uh, Late at night, early in the morning, uh, somebody shot into his house and he was there with his children. And um, Ray actually had a warrant out in relation to uh, child support. And an officer, a detective, I believe, came to his house to, to take a report and he lied about his name. His fear was that if he told his real name, he would be arrested on this open warrant and his children would be left alone on this night when the person who shot into his home was was still at large. So for that, he was charged with resisting. Um, Ray now, even though it was dismissed, Ray now carries that uh, that record. And for example, I found him through a public records request. And he believes that employers too find him because in fact, they bring it up in job interviews. And he thinks that it has hurt his economic prospects that for that reason, he's been limited in the jobs he's able to get. He's a paint and body specialist, but he thinks he could have gone into something a little more otherwise. So and also, uh, police have said that, uh, that, in fact, they do have a data system, and I don't think this really surprises anyone, that um, will tell them when they encounter somebody about this person's past uh, with law enforcement, even if charges are dismissed, an RDO will pop up. And police advocates say that is important uh, for officer safety. That way they know something about this person. That way they can have a heightened sense of awareness.
0: Looking forward from this now, a lot of the people that are actually featured that were in the police department in your stories, officers and people tied to the rush beating, including Chris Eckman, the supervising officer, Lisa time, and the police chief at the time, Tammy Hooper, a lot of these people are no longer with the police force. Um, so going forward, as the this police department hires a new chief, tries to rebuild its uh, image and trust in the community from what has been a very turbulent few years in Asheville with the police department... This shows I think what a lot of people who have been critical of the police department shows them something that they already they felt they already knew now it's uh publicly known and there's facts to back it up so moving forward from this, what sorts of stuff as the city goes through with the police department how is this how might this affect the future of the police department seeing this seeing that a lot of these charges were brought up they've been dropped, and the racial disparity in the charges and the charging of these of people with this charge. What effect might this have going forward?
1: That That is a good question. And this story, having just been published online this week, has not gotten much reaction yet from city officials. And we're waiting to hear. Now, the city is in flux right now. You know, As you said, uh, they lost a police chief who resigned um, months after. But many would argue in the wake of, of what happened with Johnny Rush and some other uh, issues. And now there's a new city manager because the city manager was fired shortly after the Rush beating. So the... As you said, the question is, what will happen? So this is the next thing that we'll pose to officials. We'll pose this to the uh, the new city manager, Deborah Campbell, uh, with whom I plan on sitting down very soon and, and asking these sorts of things. Campbell comes from Charlotte. Charlotte had... Um, its own issues. In fact, uh, a large-scale riot that followed a police shooting. So, ask, and it, it's it's worth noting too that Campbell is black, and she is the first uh, black city manager for Asheville. So, you know, does does she bring a, a special sensitivity to to this because of her back background and because of you know in terms of her own personal life and also in terms of her professional life? What happened with Charlotte and what she saw there? we will be asking that question. You talk about the officers involved. And I I, I do have to say that we didn't look, we don't have statistics to talk about how frequent it was that officers involved with these charges left the department, were fired, resigned, and that sort of thing. It's hard for me to make a broad comment about that. It's true. Many of them did leave that were cited in these examples that we found. One pattern that was interesting or non-pattern um, is in terms of who made the charges. I did go back through with that subset, and I looked at every officer involved. And it's a lot more than just the ones listed on the arrest report. Sometimes that will be, actually be different than a complainant listed in in court documents. And really, with those standalone RDOs, we couldn't find a specific pattern with certain officers. And I guess a critic might say that that points to a, a more systemic problem, maybe something bigger with the department, which... Uh, you know, I I don't know, arguably is worse. Uh, You know, it it goes against uh, the few bad apples argument. So this, this looks like it has to be something that's addressed from a wider angle.
0: Another aspect of that, though, in the last few years, certainly in Nashville, has been community trust with the police department. It wasn't just the rush beating. It was all that it didn't come out for many months until it was leaked to the Citizen Times, which published it that video. But also going back to the monitoring of civil rights groups and further even back. And I remember hearing uh, Al Whiteside's Buncombe County Commissioner longtime resident of this area saying he experienced these things for 40 years and saying he had... That was, to him, the major issue in Buncombe County right now was the Asheville Police Department uh, from through the lens of community trust. So again, how might this affect the community trust that the police department has been trying to rebuild, certainly in the last year, and how the community will continue to have its relationship with the police department uh, that has been under fire?
1: Yes, uh, also um, good questions. And I'll say that, as, as journalists, we uh, went this far with this story. We found the data. Uh, we say the data shows us there is a disparity. There is a disparity that's worse than most crimes. Um, but when you talk to, we're not going so far as saying that this is due um, necessarily to racial bias. But people looking at this say, yes, it is due to racial bias. So it, it's it's very possible to to make that leap. I think, and it's you may not even call it a leap. And people that point this out, for example, are uh, Asheville Black Lives Matter president Dolores Venable. She's saying that it essentially shows uh, predatory and biased policing. And yeah, again, there's also one other important person that we should bring up in this is uh, there was a a law professor named Scott Holmes. And Holmes is working at the North Carolina Central University in Durham. And he's much more gloves off about it and he said that really um the connection that he has seen and research that he's done and also as a defense attorney that defended many of these people was oftentimes it was linked to a sense uh that a police officer uh was feeling disrespected and had had less to do with resisting holmes even said that there might be Some actions taken by police charging an RDO may help insulate them from a uh, lawsuit, a civil lawsuit, which is an interesting and and really big charge uh, that police advocates denied. But he said he actually heard police doing this, you know, using this strategy, charging RDO to to protect themselves. So one of the questions is, you know, what does this do? What is the harm that this does? We've talked about um, how it affects people. Uh, and their their lives, how even a dismissed charge can hurt them. And in a broader sense, um, what it can do is it can hurt trust. So the question is, when, when you have these types of disparities, whether there's bias there or not, you can debate that or not. It, there is. It's happening. There is a disparity. And so you have a section of the community that feels that it is being unfairly policed, over policed, and they, it further erodes trust that they have in police. And that overall, hurts public safety. And that's an analysis that's been done by uh, by many people.
0: Joel Burgess, thank you for coming in and great reporting.
1: Thank you very much.